You're listening to Flipping the Channel, conversations with experts and executives from the electronics industry. In each episode, we attempt to understand and unravel some of the business and technical challenges brought on by component obsolescence. Here's your host, Bill Bradford, president of Flip Electronics. Hello, everybody. I'm your host, Bill Bradford. Thank you for joining this episode of Flipping the Channel. I'm very excited to have as our first guest on this podcast, Ed Smith. Ed is the president, CEO, and board member of SMTC. Ed also spent a significant portion of his career at Abnet Electronics in various executive roles. And uh, prior to that, he was the CEO of Simtech. So, Ed, thanks for being here on the show. Thanks for having me, Bill. I appreciate it. Well, to start, maybe just fill in the gaps a little bit about your background, how you how you got to this space, the kind of short story of Ed Smith. Sure. Started off in the uh, distribution business uh, very early in my career. And, uh, you know, after about 10 years, I decided to go into the EMS space uh, because I said, hey, if I haven't found something hard enough, let me find something even harder. Um, and so going from Avnet to Semtech. Um, after about three years, we sold that business to a company called CTS, who ultimately sold the business to Benchmark. So today it's part of the Benchmark uh, family. I then went back to Avnet, which was being nice to be invited back uh, to my old company and got into the electronics distribution field in a, in a big way. Uh, spent uh, the next 12 years, uh, first as the uh, Senior Vice President of Sales and Operations, and then ultimately for the last eight years as president of, of Abnet. Um, left Abnet uh, and um, wrote a book. And as I was uh, deciding what to do with that book, SMTC called me and uh, I started uh, working there. And so, you know, the perspective of being both on the customer side and the distribution side, I think really helps understand what's really going on in the, in the marketplace. So what do you see going on in the marketplace now that you brought it up? You know, it's, it's really uh, changing as quickly as I've ever seen in my, in my career right now. Things are getting tighter. Um, the uh, wafers and, and capacity in, in that part. Um, technology is changing, going, you know, getting smaller and smaller, down to eight nanometers, now three nanometers and continuing. As, and as the technology changes, guess what happens? They end the life parts. Things, older technologies go away. They need that space and capacity for the newer technologies. And so you have constraint lead times jumping out. You have technology changing and you clearly have um, some end of life issues going on in the marketplace. Um, this is probably the fastest I've ever seen a change in our marketplace. You know, we had COVID and that started and factories closed down. Things got tight, constrained. Then it kind of opened up. Things became very normalized. And then all of a sudden, this uh, demand just went off the charts, mostly driven by electric vehicles, uh, cars, the new electronics in cars. Um, but clearly, the defense arrow being strong and some of the uh, older technologies has clearly created uh, quite the constraint and lead time problem. So specifically then around some of the obsolescence and end of life issues, what what is this market uh, kind of done to that space? You know, it's really it's it's really exasperated um, an issue that already happens, right? Normally, companies say, "I'm going to have it in the life." They have a year type 
timing. You know, you, you try to figure out how many you need. You try to guess the market. Sometimes that works well. Sometimes it doesn't work well. But when the market's moving as quickly as it's moving now, sometimes they run out of wafers and they run out of the opportunity before you even get the opportunity to buy for the end of life. Or they want to stop building it and they have extra wafers and they can use different companies, people like Flip, and, and sell you the wafer where you can then package it and build it at a later date. But most companies don't want to tie their cash up, in particularly when the COVID-19 issues are going on. Nobody wants to tie cash up in, into end-of-life products, obsolescence. They'd rather somebody else do that and then you know use the cash at a later date, even if there's a little bit of a higher cost. So how have you been dealing with the challenges of the obsolescence parts? What, what, what are some of the things you've done at SMTC to try to mitigate the, the risks and issues there? So we'll, we'll go into the, to the distribution market like Flip and we'll say, hey, here's the guess we have for the next year, two years, and, and try to work out a deal where they hold them for the period of time for our customers. Sometimes we'll say, here's what we think we need. Um, and get them to hold a wafer so it's a less cost uh, on them. And then they can go, you know, realize a, a finished product later on. Um, and then the last, but the most costly, and, you know, this goes to the craziness of the world, is we'll try to ask a customer to redesign their product. And, uh, you know, I've had customers, you know, for a, a $20 part, spend a million dollars redesigning a product just because they can't buy a $20, $20 part. And, you know, you'd never think of that in a life cycle until, until you get there. But the reality is, you know, they've made a commitment to build something, but they can't get there without redesigning and being able to get that. So that's the worst outcome that possibly can happen. Holding the wafers is probably the best outcome. And then trying to guess the quantity is probably the middle outcome and uh, tying up working capital. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've seen in this constrained environment too, with you know mainstream products being tightly allocated. In some cases, customers who can't buy material to to, to build their new product sometimes will go back and build some of the old product if they can get the get the product. So in, in this case, is when there is end of life material available. Sometimes they're going back to the well on designs that are four or five years old or, or older because that's what they can uh, procure components for and book and sell since the new stuff is so constrained. It's kind of converse to the normal situation where they've got to advance because they can no longer buy the end of life. But I don't know if you've seen those types of examples. But. Oh, yeah. There's all kinds of different things that, that go on. And, you know, some of the products we build, especially in the airspace and defense, we do a lot of repair for uh, aircraft, uh, aircraft on ground, AOG. We're FAA certified. And when you got to repair something that may not have been built in the last 10 years, last 20 years, all of a sudden you're, you're, you're starting to try to find something that, that is not so easily found. And, you know, companies like Flip help us out every day. Um, sometimes we have to go rebuild it. Sometimes you have to redesign it. Um, but the reality is redesigning is very expensive and timely. Um, you're not getting an aircraft back on the ground if you're redesigning a, a board. So you need to find it or have an alternative solution uh, to get there for sure. What, what's the craziest story you've had trying to obtain and find old obsolete end of life parts to support a customer? You know, you you, you just talked about uh, you just talked about the 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 age of aircrafts and getting aircrafts off ground. Um, 
we, we had a, a, a gentleman who worked for us that had, um, we, we built braking systems for the 737, 787. Um, but to do those repairs, he would have every design going back 40, 50 years. He just re- retired after 60 years um, with, with the company. And I would walk in his office and there would be blueprints stacked up, corners all over the place. And you'd say, hey, there's a 737 serial number, such and such down. And he would go and find some stack and look through it and finally find the blueprint and say, okay, here's what we need uh, to, to do this. Here's what happened. And then if you said, well, we can't get those parts anymore, he'd go, let me go look at the blueprint and see if there's a newer one or, or an older one that we can switch to uh, and still have that, that going. But when I say, I, I would say no less than 50,000 blueprints in his office stacked up all over the place. And uh, wow. I was used to joke with him that if they ever fell, he'd be uh, pinned underneath there. I mean, I'd find him for a week or two <laughs> underneath all of those different uh, blueprints. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's really very complicated stuff and very costly. Um, you know, you don't think about the cost of this obsolescence or not finding a part until you have to do a design that could cost millions of dollars and months and months worth of work. Um, but it, it's very costly. So, you know, IHS tracks end-of-life notifications as well as PCNs, and they're, they've been noticing a trend that they've not just been increasing year-on-year, but really starting to accelerate. And I think, you know, Moore's Law and just the, 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 the types of consumer products that are driving volumes today keep, keep those cycles, you know, shorter and shorter, and it, it gets just tougher and tougher to support the applications that, that need, you know, a, a platform that's five years plus in, in some cases, decades old platforms. What, what steps do you think the industry could take to try to mitigate this? I mean, it seems like we're kind of on this train that's just ex- exacerbating every year with faster acceleration and, and quicker uh, end of lifing of, of the older parts. Yeah. You know, I, I, I've always said in the industry and, and uh, as you know, I've spent time on this subject pretty extensively. One would be nice that as as technologies change, that they always had backward compatibility on the new parts. I know they're faster. I know they're different. But if you could always come out with, you know, if you had a, a 8-bit microcontroller or a 16-bit or a 32-bit microcontroller, when you had the next generation, if it could still work with the same software, if it could still work with the same configurations, at least the the my customers would have to do the least amount of work um, to, to upgrade to the newest technology. You know, same as if you look at FPGA, right? Those are really expensive parts. But when they go into life and, and you have no way to upgrade that, you have to completely redesign from beginning to end. It's really, really expensive. So I would think backward compatibility um, as they make new parts and new technologies come out would really, really, really help. And if you think about it, it, it should be capable to do that. You know, our computers work for five or 10 years, even though the technology changes every year, right? Wi-Fi changes every year. It gets faster, it gets better, but they make it backward compatible so that if your computer is five years old or 10 years old, you don't need a new computer just to operate. And so first would be backward compatibility. Second, that where I think the industry really gets itself, you know, messed up is there's no consistent way where companies put out... Um, the end of life notifications, the P, P, PCNs and those type of things. Some companies give a year, some companies give a half a year, some companies give three months. Um, and, and because it's not consistent, what happens is customers 
you know, become very flustered when they get it. They don't know if they have three months, six months, 12 months to, to figure out what they're going to do and how they're going to change or what they need to buy. You know, we just had a part where it had been uh, end of life uh, for a year. Um, but what we did, interestingly enough, is we found enough customers that wanted to buy this part that we convinced the manufacturer to go build it for us four customers, build up enough demand that it'd be worth building one more set of uh, products. But that's the exception, right? The rule is normally if, if it was backward compatible and you got enough notification, you can come up with a solution. And then the last I think would be really nice is if suppliers would build extra wafers of every set of parts that they built at the end of life. And they froze those parts uh, in nitrogen and held them. And they would take a company like Flip and say, okay, here's the end of life of this set of parts, but here's the wafers for that set of parts. So if customers need them five years, three years, 10 years from now, you have the capability to re, you know, uh, certify uh, those parts and recreate those parts. Um, because if, if you think about it, they do owe the, the end customer some responsibility of, hey, I designed your part in, and now I can't make my product because you end the life date with not enough notification or um, with no way to be backward compatible. So just a couple of, of those thoughts. There's more. But if you, if you did those three things, I think that would solve 95% of the problems. Interesting. That your, your first suggestion on the backward compatibility, do you see any either manufacturers or types of components where that's done today or, or where they've have made attempts to do that effectively? Probably the, the biggest ones is more the overall technology, like Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. You know, they went, even though they're going to 5G, you'll still have LTE, you'll still have some of the older technology where things will work with multiple technologies uh, for a period of time. But then they'll come to a point and they'll say, okay, you know, when 6G or something else comes out, they'll say, no, no, we're going to get rid of LTE or we're going to get rid of this or that. Um, it'd be nice if they lasted longer. Um, so I would say the technologies, that's normally good. I would say memory, that yeah. normally works pretty well in the memory space. Um, you sometimes pin out, pin out the same, the exact same pin out just with a double density and just customer doesn't have to use the excess density, for example. Exactly. You, you, yeah. you make some tweaks on the firmware. You could do this, that, um, but you're not relaying out a board. You're not relaying out parts and, mm-hmm. and doing a, a, a lot of change. So, so there are some technologies. And then you have the, the, what I would call the bigger technologies or the bigger chips where when they make a change, you're redoing your board, right? You, you have the, uh, MPUs, you have the FPGAs, uh, uh, a lot of the big micros, um, the the graphics chips. When they make a change in those chips, you know, it, it makes dramatic change. And then for a while, it wasn't even just the hardware. Sometimes they would make a change on the BIOS that would make you redesign your board and, and do some of those things. So, you know, if they could keep the backward compatibility going, where they had more than one technology built into a chip for a while, that would help a lot. Right. Very good. What else? Uh, other thoughts in the industry? As you said, you, you, you've been kind of a, a spokesman for our industry, you know, very involved in, in industry associations and things for, for a lot of years. What other burning thoughts you have on uh, kind of the state of the industry right now? You know, I think the industry is uh, going through a change and I think it's uh, going to be interesting where it all winds up, right? Uh, the industry has gone through this whole distribution um, consolidation. And for us, it's not been positive for the end customer. 
We have less choices of where to buy things. We have less opportunities to negotiate uh, inventory levels, con bonds. Um, it, it's really made the situation more difficult. And I'm sure for the distributors, based on looking at the financials, it hasn't uh, been financially uh, apparent has been positive for them. And so at some point, the question becomes, where does it, where does it go from here? And uh, it'll be interesting to, to see, but we, we try to buy more and more parts. Um, we're a global company. We buy more and more globally. Different parts of the world view things differently. Um, and sometimes it's advantageous to us, but uh, clearly with the margins significantly down over the last couple of years, where the distribution channels have been trimmed, um, Anytime you have less choice to buy things and you have lower margins um, will give us less choices to get things accomplished. So I'm hoping the industry changes that, um, goes back to having, a, you know, three or four distributors per product. Um, but I'm not hopeful that'll happen today or tomorrow. Mm. And how, how is SMTC doing? Any news on there you'd like to share? Oh, well, we just signed an agreement um, from a company called uh, HIG, a definitive agreement to... Uh, have them invest a, a whole bunch of money into us and, and take us private. Um, so that's always exciting. And then, uh, you know, we, we've really had a good run. Uh, I, I couldn't be happier with the team. Um, you know, we came in here, the company was $130 million three years ago. Um, you know, we'll do $450 million this year. Um, so it's been a nice uh, growth pattern uh, for us, um, clearly. And I think what we do different than most of our other EMS guys that are our size, we focus on the customer. What do they need? How do they need it? How do we be more flexible? How do we be high quality at the same same time? And uh, we've used supply chain as a, as a weapon, a positive weapon. We do more Kanbans with our customers than probably anybody. Um, you know, when we look at on-time delivery, it's either there or not there. Um, and that's the way we view things. So we probably view things a little bit differently and uh, that's, that's paid off so far. So, uh, you know, I appreciate you asking. Thank you. No, congratulations on that. That's great. A great run so far. It's been a good run. Let's hope it goes on for a couple more years until I can retire. <laughs> I can't. I can't let you off with it without returning to your. You mentioned your book. Tell us a little about the book. But you got a chance to make a plug there. Or... Yeah. It's, so it's it's uh, not out published yet, but it will be, and uh, it's called An Ordinary Man in Extraordinary Times, and it talks about the the journey of finding your way to giving back more than you, you take from this world. And, uh, you know, when I was a young, uh, young executive, all I thought about is how to make more money, how to get promoted. And as I, uh, you know, I, my wife had passed away and things had happened in my life. It made me reassess that. And uh, interesting enough, the more I gave back, the more charity I did, the more I try to help people one-on-one, -on -one, the more I got back and the more successful I was. And so I, I don't, it, it taught me not to just worry about me, but if you worry about the good of the world, um, you know, positive things will happen. And uh, as you spoke about earlier about being involved with the industry, you know, to me, that's all, everybody in their industry should be involved, right? It's our industry. It's where we make our money and we should give back. And uh, that's been uh, one of the things that I've, you know, try to instill in my children and, uh, you know, and that's what the book's really about, changing cultures of companies to being more giving than taking of this world. Well, I look forward to seeing it. We might have to have you back as a, as a guest to specifically plug the book when you release it. You got it. I'll, I'll give you one. I'll even sign it for you for free. All right. <laughs> All right, Ed. Well, uh, really appreciate you being on the show. I hope uh, you know, we can get you back on a future episode as this, as you said, the di dynamics in this industry are, are just changing every day. So uh, 
what we talk about today is going to be very different. I know six, nine, 12 months from now. So we'd love to have you back on the show at a later date. I look forward to it. Thanks, Bill. And you have a great one. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining this episode of Flipping the Channel. I hope you'll join us in our next episode when our guest will be Greg Wood, Director of Product Management with IHS. And we'll be discussing some of the trends in end of life and process and product change notifications. You've been listening to Flipping the Channel. This podcast is brought to you by Flip Electronics, where we're making obsolescence obsolete. Visit www.flipelectronics.com for your authorized, hard to find, end of life electronic component requirements.